everybody. Welcome to Weekly Review with Roman. Today, it's Friday, September 11th, 2020. Thanks so much for tuning in. We're broadcasting live from Mutiny Radio. We're in San Francisco. We're on Ramatouche Ohlone land, and there's lots of resources out there to learn more about the history of the land that we're on. So if you go to weeklyrev.wordpress.com, uh, it's a new site that we put together for this podcast that has a lot of information, and at the top there's a land acknowledgement tab. So if you click on that, there's a lot of information, different links about Ramatush Ohlone peoples, uh, to a link to pay the Segorate Land Trust, as well as Indigenous Mutual Aid, and lots of other resources. So please do check that out. And yeah, we'll get started with the show. Uh, wow. Ugh. Uh, the fires uh, on the West Coast have been brutal, and the air quality is quite unhealthy for most living beings, and wanted to share some resources for folks. First, uh, from uh, Coalition on Homelessness, to share this link from the San Francisco Department of Emergency Management. Uh, staying indoors with windows and doors closed is, is the best defense against poor air quality. For those who cannot shelter inside, San Francisco has activated weather relief centers open today, uh, September 11th, from 10 a.m. to 5.30 p.m. They have more information at sf72.org. And these places include the San Francisco Main Library, the Chinatown Branch Library, Mission Bay Branch Library, and Southeast Community facility and I'm of the opinion that folks should just be housed and there is some po- the positive news that we have unfortunately is that when bad things are prevented from happening or things that should just be obvious are finally given so finally uh, prop C which was a proposition here in San Francisco that would tax wealthy companies to fund housing for people which seems like a no-brainer however some companies were so greedy I don't know why I'm talking so fast I didn't have very much coffee I didn't even finish my cup of coffee today guess there's a lot I need to say, and then being indoors for so much, it's like, ah. Long story short, Prop C now is officially, has officially won, so now millions of dollars can be distributed to house people. And again, should it, it, I should be grateful for the fact that, that we're here, um, but there are, there have been empty hotel rooms, there's a lot of empty apartments in the city that folks could be living in and should have been living in, people should not have been evicted, I could go on. I feel like if you're already listening to the show, you're in agreement, I would hope, and if not, open to hearing uh, this perspective. However, that's positive news about Prop C, and perhaps uh, we'll get into that a little bit more with some more information. <sighs> I can actually click on it now, but first I did want to get back to uh, places for folks to go. So if you see unhoused neighbors, um, just recommendations. So there are the uh, weather, re- weather relief centers, which are mostly libraries, and also the Southeast Community Facility, which is at 800 Oakdale Avenue. It's just from 10 a.m. to 5.30 p.m. That's Friday, Saturday, and Sunday for these. And a few more tips here. If you smell the smoke, if the smell of smoke is present, it is important that Bay Area residents protect their health by avoiding exposure. If possible, stay inside with windows and doors closed until smoke levels subside. Set air conditioning units and car vent systems to recirculate to prevent outside air from moving inside. Offices, child care programs, out-of-school time, OST programs, and other businesses that have been directed to increase ventilation in indoor spaces to the extent possible to minimize COVID-19 risk are not required to close if they now need to shut windows 
or adjust their ventilation systems to minimize exposure to wildfire smoke. Wow. <sighs> We're living in fucked up times. Whenever ventilation is reduced by closing windows or reducing outside air intake, entities and individuals should be particularly mindful of precautions to reduce transmission of COVID-19, wash and sanitize hands frequently, follow all face covering and physical distancing requirements, stay six feet apart from people outside of your household, clean frequently touched surfaces and items regularly, and remind everyone who can work remotely to do so. If you are in an affected area and need to go outside, be mindful of the same precautions above to reduce the spread of COVID-19. Smoke can irritate the eyes and airways, causing coughing, a dry, scratchy throat, and irritated sinuses. Elevated particulate matter in the air can trigger wheezing in those who suffer from asthma, emphysema, or COPD. Elderly persons, children, and individuals with respiratory illnesses are particularly susceptible to elevated air pollution levels and should take extra precautions to avoid exposure. Contact your healthcare provider if you experience any of the following symptoms, repeated coughing, shortness of breath or difficulty breathing, wheezing, chest tightness or pain, palpitations, nausea, or unusual fatigue, lightheadedness. <sighs> and they have more information there as well, as well as uh, the information in Spanish. So again, you can go to sf72.org for this information and more. Ugh. Capitalism. I don't know where to start, really. I did have a few stories lined up for today, and that was, of course, not so much in thinking that everyone was the... Oh, gosh, there's so much. And perhaps I'll, I'll get into it. I'll get into it, and everything is connected. And living in a, in a country that does not teach its history, and there's a lack of political education, and there's fear-mongering, and there's money for war and policing and militarization, home and abroad, yet not for health care is fucking disgusting. I'm still angry at the auto industry. I probably always will be till the day I die uh, for sabotaging public transit efforts. <sighs> angry at greed. I want to talk about the type of world I want to live in and not what's wrong with it, but a world where everyone has housing and healthcare and food. I don't think that's that out of the ordinary, but apparently some folks are against it. I don't know why. And then with this anniversary coming up, there have been wars that have been continued to fight. Uh, millions of people's lives destroyed. And also another reminder that the U.S. military is the number one polluter in the world. So as these fires continue, a reminder that everyone should be calling for the defunding and dismantling of the U.S. military. <sighs> I had a dream last night that I was booked to do a comedy set. And I used to do comedy. You might not know if you've listened to the show fairly recently, uh, but I used to. And some things were a little bit messed up in the show. I didn't quite do it. it was, you know how dreams can be. They're not quite it's kind of difficult to understand the circumstances. But I definitely felt the need to speak up. Also, sadly, uh, well, this is like a very minor thing. There's a shirt that I have. Uh, with a picture of W on it, it says international terrorist on it, that I had in the early 2000s, and I try to wear it every year around this time uh, as a reminder 
that the response to the attacks on 9-11 were fucking disgusting and the violence and surveillance against Muslims and non-white people in this country and attacks against them is fucking reprehensible, including the wars abroad that still continue, including the formation of the Department of Homeland Security and ICE, which a lot of folks in the world were older then. These agencies have caused irreparable harm. And then we got the TSA harassing people in airports and not really protecting anyone. I mean, it's just fucking, it's ridiculous. And before the, before Debbie's and Cheney and all those fuckers, Karl Rove, fuck them, fuck them, fuck them. My words are not powerful enough, but I wish they were to hold war criminals accountable. And I'm also of the opinion that climate change is fucking, you know, we're not going to be able to survive it, so might as well speak the truth while we're here. Ugh. Ugh. I get so angry, I forget what I'm going to say sometimes. Oh yeah, I had a shirt. Anyway, I no longer fit into it, so I want to give it away to someone else who can wear it still in relatively shape oh yeah so the the reactions of just the there's some there's another point i was going to make and perhaps i will think of it at some point here but also that there are hundreds of thousands of people who are dying of covid 19 and it's this there's a selective outrage and a selective mourning as to what people decide to be upset about and not and and i don't say this in a way to dismiss anyone's grief or where people when their energy it's more from the right-wing talking point to focus on this one day and specific people who died in this country as opposed to, or not, and I would should say, and not also acknowledging the millions of people abroad who have been killed and or displaced by the, by these U.S. wars. And also how with the cycle of poverty and how money that goes into the military and bombing folks abroad, that's money that could be used to house and help people here. so dumb it's so dumb oh it's so dumb i can't I, I, oh. so dumb so so dumb so again we're living through this uh late stage of capitalism uh climate disaster some folks have mentioned that climate change doesn't quite do the do it justice then you have, and obviously, clearly, I think these folks in the GOP and Republicans are pretty fucking evil, and I would say that many of these Democrats are pretty useless, and they say, vote, 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 and it's like, okay, well, there are Democrats who were and are in power, yet they sign contracts for more fracking, and they approve all these military budgets. So unless we're going to uh, vote for folks who actually want to give land back to indigenous people who actually took care of the land, uh, it, it seems uh, it, it, it seems just like missing missing the mark, to say the least. I did see a uh, Haymarket Books, which is a great. Uh, they publish awesome books, and they also have great accounts, and they share re great information. They also have really awesome and informative panels. They had a, a tweet maybe last week or so that the burning of the police station 
in Minnesota has higher approval ratings than either major party candidate right now. So just a reminder that direct action does get the goods. And I would appreciate if folks could, you know, put more faith in that and the coming together and the collective actions of people. And I do feel it's frustrating that for the 20 years that I've been voting, I do vote, and uh, there's still so much anti-leftist rhetoric, and it happens every, especially with the presidential election, every four years. It's the same fucking argument. And it gets tiresome that some of us who want health care and action to reduce the toll of militarism on the climate that we're told that we're asking for too much. Year after year after year. And it's the same argument every time. <sighs> okay. Uh, I've got some news stories here. They're probably depressing. Question mark. That's why I start off the show with music and have it in between as a reminder that there are there's so many ways to show up in the world and to create beauty and musicians are one such way. And I'm really grateful for all the great musicians out there. Started off the show with music by a band I was really into and I still like them. I just haven't thought about them for a while. Then I heard them on the current this morning, uh, Block Party with I Still Remember, and that album came out I think in 2007 and it was very much in. Uh, Many songs kind of talked about the uh, American and British response to 9-11. And then a song after that was Shamir with Float. And I'll be playing some more songs, uh, probably soonish, because I feel like it's good to um, sit with what's been said and remember that there is beauty in the world. It doesn't feel like it a lot of the time. It feels frightening and backwards and scary and frustrating, and unfair, and unjust, and terrifying. Feel free to pick up a thesaurus and throw in some more words there. You get it. And at the same time, there's music that can be uplifting. I'm going to play some more music, and we'll be back with some news stories, so please do stay tuned. Show 
exactly what is going on Show exactly who is looking on Stories start to leak They color your name While up above Cloud turns to rain You can feel the touch Of a hand you know well It's a very long way
Is it authentic? That's the mystery. Or is it just another symbolic victory? Now there's two anthems. Do we kneel? Do we stand? If we could just right our wrongs, we wouldn't need two songs. We don't need another publicity parade. So we'll just stay inside until it's time to play the game. Whatever happened to the funds that were promised? All of a sudden, we got a collapsed pocket? The bottom line should not be the net profit. You can't open your heart when it's controlled by your wallet. Decals and patches? Fireworks and trumpets? We're not puppets. Don't publicize false budgets. Ask the pundits, and we shouldn't have a say. If you speak up for change, then I'll shut up and play. If we remain silent, that would just be selfish. Since they don't have a voice, we're speaking up for the helpless. It's not enough to act like you care for the troops. Millions for pregame patriotism. You get paid to salute. Lift every voice and sing. It's just a way to save face. Lose the mask and stop hiding the real game face. So if my dad was a soldier, but the cops killed my brother, do I stand for one anthem and then kneel for the other? This attempt to unify only creates more divide. So we'll skip this song and dance. And as a team, we'll stay inside. We need changed hearts, not just a response to pressure. Enough. No more fluff and empty gestures. We need owners with influence and pockets bigger than ours. To call up officials and flex political power. When education is not determined by where we reside. And we have the means to purchase what the doctor prescribed. And you fight for prison reform and innocent lives. And you repair the communities that were tossed to the side. And you admit you gained from it and you swallowed your pride. And when greed is not the compass, but love is the guide. And when the courts don't punish skin color, but punish the crime. Until then, we'll just skip the long production and stay inside. For centuries, we've been trying to make you aware. Either you're in denial or just simply don't really care. It's not a black-white thing or a left-right thing. Let's clean the whole bird and stop arguing about which wing. Before the media starts wondering and guessing, they just answered all your questions. We'll just stay inside. A video that came out yesterday from uh, the Miami Dolphins, who are players that will stay inside for both the national anthems and they are expressing their discontentment with what they call fluff and empty gestures from the NFL. You can find that video on Twitter. Um, before that, we heard music from Wolf Parade, uh, I like very much. That was Forrest Green, and before that, Peter Gabriel all-time favorites with The Veil, which was on the soundtrack uh, to Snowden, the movie about Edward Snowden. Okay, I've got some more news stories, headlines. Uh, start off with just randomly clicking here on the tabs I have open, EFF, Electronic Frontier Foundation, COVID-19, and digital rights. Many of our digital rights are impacted by COVID-19 now more than ever. EFF is dedicated to ensuring that technology supports freedom, justice, and innovation for all the people of the world. Uh, first up is surveillance. Governments around the world are demanding extraordinary new surveillance powers that many hope will contain the virus's spread. But many of these powers would invade our privacy, inhibit our free speech, and dis disparately burden vulnerable groups of people. Mindful of the stakes, we ask three questions when analyzing proposals that would provide greater surveillance powers to the government. Would the proposals work? Would it excessively intrude on our freedoms? Are there sufficient safeguards? Different proposals raise different issues. For example, EFF, uh, they, they oppose dragnet surveillance of the general public to identify infected people. This inclu includes dragnet surveillance cameras in public places that use face recognition 
for thermal imaging and mounting such technologies on drones. Uh, we oppose monitoring quarantine of COVID-19 patients with ankle GPS shackles or compulsion to download tracking apps. We oppose giving police officers access to any COVID-19 public health data, including the addresses of people who tested positive. We oppose immunity passports and verified credentials of test results, gatekeeping systems that require people to present a digital token of supposed health in order to enter various spaces are a worrisome step towards national digital identification. We oppose expanded surveillance by the U.S. Department of Health and Human Services of people tested for COVID-19 and their families. We oppose automated contact tracing based on phone location data. It is insufficiently granular to identify when two people were close enough together to transmit the virus, but it will expose where we've been and what we've been doing. Bluetooth proximity is the most promising approach so far to automated COVID tracking, but no app will work absent widespread testing uh, and interview-based contact tracing. Any app needs rigorous security testing and data minimization. No one should be forced to use it. Any use of aggregate location data to inform public health decisions needs strict safeguards. Many new government surveillance programs are being built in partnership with corporations that hold vast stores of consumers' personal data. We need new laws to protect our data privacy. The next up is free speech. The free speech flow of ideas about COVID-19 is vital. This includes anonymous whistleblowing about containment efforts, online criticisms of government responses to the crisis, and prisoner access to social media to tell the world about outbreaks behind bars. Government will inevitably abuse any new powers to censor what they deem false information about the virus. When online platforms increase the reliance on automated con content moderation, in part because human moderators cannot safely come to work, those moderation decisions must be temporary, transparent, and easily appealable. Platforms should take into account the Santa Clara principles for transparent and accountable content moderation. We are troubled by Facebook's plan to limit speech about public protests. Next up is innovation. New technologies and ideas can help address the public health crisis. We must have free and open access to scientific knowledge about the virus. Tinkerers should be able to fix medical devices and have easy online access to repair manuals. Open innovation in medical technology will save lives. The federal government should exercise its power to stop patent trolls from endangering COVID-19 testing and treatment and should not increase patent terms for technologies related to this health crisis. Fiber for all. Social distancing is causing many of us to spend more time on the internet, but not all Americans have fast and com competitively priced internet access. So, EFF is advocating for federal and state laws to redouble efforts to build better broadband for everyone. You can take action to support these bills. And I'm going to click on the link right now to share that with folks. So if we go to EFF, it's at California Demand High Speed Broadband Access. Uh, this action, they say, is no longer um, active. Um, okay, so there's that. Let's go back to the original article. Um, okay. Oh, here we go. There's another one they have here. Tell the Senate to keep Americans online during the pandemic. I am going to enter my info right now because I've made Sometimes I say, oh, I'll do this later or after the show, and I'm sometimes I'm just kind of tired after the show, and I don't get around to it, and I put things off like anyone else. So I'm going to take action right now. Again, you can find it if you go to efact.eff.org, the Reaction Center. Let's go to my information. All 
Am I going to send it to the representatives? Uh, Einstein and Harris. Mailing list. Okay. And so it's kind of like an auto form. You can personalize it if you would like. And I encourage you to do so. And let's see here. So again, EFF x.eff.org, and I'm multitasking here. Asking for my prefix, which I hate, but uh, oh right, so that took less than a minute, and I was also kind of multitasking. So uh, I encourage folks to also do this while you're listening, while you're doing something else. I know I myself spend a lot of time online when I could be doing other things. So if you're going to be online anyway, it's helpful to might as well sign a helpful petition and tell the powers that be that they need to do things to actually help people. That's a good thing. Okay. Moving along, back, moving back, along, back to the future, along. Let me find where I put this. Uh, where did I put it? can't put things anywhere online. <sighs> well, all right, let's go on to the next thing. There is more information in the article. I feel like folks got the point, so there is that. Ooh, well, here's, a, here's an article for you. Uh, inside the dangerous online fever swamps of American police. We'll see how far along I can get with this without getting so angry that I, I mean, I've never thrown anything in the studio that I'm aware of. I do get very angry, and you'll most likely hear me sighing and or groaning. And or I'll just play some music, and I'll just be like, ah, that hopefully will get out my anger. Cops have a far-right media ecosystem of their own where they can post racist memes, spread disinformation, and call for violence against Antifa. And some folks have also just encouraged us to remind people that Antifa stands for anti-fascists. So if you're against anti-fascists, you're a fucking fascist. It, again, everything's so fucking dumb and backwards that we have to even just say this, but here we are. This is an article that came out on June 17th, 2020, and was written by Jessalyn Cook and Nick Robbins Early. Again, you can find it at uh, HuffPost.com. I'll read a little bit of this here. And sometimes I say that and I end up reading the whole thing. Sometimes I do read a little bit. We'll see, but if you'd like to find it, Again, go to HuffPost. Around the time news broke on Monday afternoon that the New York City Police Department would disband plainclothes anti-crime units that had been tied to several high-profile police shootings, someone calling themselves I It Dad 613 had started a thread on The Rant, a police message board that purports to host current and former NYPD employees. I wouldn't want to be a commanding officer for the next few comp stats, uh, It Dad 613 wrote. This is right from de Blasio. I feel for anybody still on the job. Elsewhere, the posts on three rant, excuse me, the rant were much darker. In one, and I'm also just going to make a comment that using the word darker to describe something that's negative, I think, also just feeds into racism. Okay. Uh, in one Monday thread, Domin Domino P wrote that a fire, ugh, gosh, just, these are people who are just saying that to kill anti-fascists. I'm going to summarize what they're Iran is just one node in a wider web of right-wing police media on similar message boards in Facebook groups and on news sites such as Law Enforcement Today. Oh, it's gross. 
uh, a sort of Breitbart-like outlet written by and for police, uh, there is a fervent narrative that police are under nonstop siege and that Antifa, anti-fascists in particular, is a constant threat. Yeah, people who just don't want to fucking be killed for existing in the world. We're very much a threat. Very much a threat. All right. The police media ecosystem is not necessarily a broad representation of what most cops believe, but inside this echo chamber, which has thousands of users and readers, extremist views dictate the narrative. Wild misinformation and bigotry are rampant, with people who claim to be current and former officers posting debunked falsehoods and racist stereotypes about protesters. Intense public focus on police behavior in recent weeks following the killing of George Floyd in Minneapolis has led to the termination of several law enforcement officers who posted conspirational I can't, whoa, I'm going to slow down. Conspiratorial or racist messages on their personal social media pages. When these posts are singled out for scrutiny and have a real officer's name attached, opprobrium comes quickly. But most of those posts would be right at home in right-wing police media. What I think we have here is a market for this kind of racist and divisive garbage across the internet. And unfortunately, police are participating in that wave that is witnessed across various professions, said Brian Levin, director of the City for the Study of Hate and Extremism at California State University, San Bernardino. It pains me as a former NYPD officer to see this, he said. These posts are devastating. Levin doesn't think people should assume that cops on mass subscribe to this, although I would say a lot of us do. Uh, but he does see dangerous potential because online echo chambers tend to self-accelerate bigoted beliefs. For police in particular, who so often have to hold their tongue and try to restrain themselves, he said. Again, I'm going to be like, really? Uh, online, it becomes even more of an accelerant. Wow. I'm, ugh, I'm already, ugh. This does remind me of another article I'm going to read. I'm going to probably stop with this one right here and then move on to something that's actually um, dealing with the same issue. However, uh, members of the, the Rochester police, I'm going to pull up an article here. Uh, there's the chief as well as... Let's see. Okay, the... <coughs> excuse me, police chief as well as uh, command staff have retired um, after folks were protesting the death of the death of Daniel Prude by the Rochester police. And there's a lot of articles here. I didn't bring one up immediately, or ahead of time, I should say. But I did want to share that that is happening. It has happened. And yeah, there's an article in The Guardian from three days ago. Rochester police chief and deputy to step down after Daniel Prude death. Calls for resignation since footage emer emerged of fatal incident. Prude died several days after officers put a spit hood on him. So again, I would like to see more police chiefs and officials stepping down all across the country. While we're on the subject of police, um, there's another article. I'm just going to read the headline because it's a lot here. Folks can check it out. ProPublica.org. Over a dozen black and Latino men accused a cop of humiliating invasive strip searches. The NYPD kept promoting him. 
The men said Assistant Chief Christopher McCormack touched them inappropriately during searches or ordered others to do so. 86 NYPD leaders have at least one credible misconduct allegation on file. McCormack has the most. Oh, which reminds me of another article. What, what is this about police not being held accountable? Oh, don't worry. We've got plenty of articles about that. Let's talk about something more uh, local uh, from Mission Local. This came out on September 10th, written by Julian Mark. Officers who killed Mario Woods used unnecessary force but will face no discipline. The Department of Police Accountability has found that five officers who shot and killed Mario Woods in December 2015 all used unnecessary force but ultimately concluded that the officers should receive no discipline as they deviated from no policies at the time. And so there was a report that released Thursday by the Department of Police Accountability, a civilian overnight oversight agency that conducted an independent investigation of the police shooting. It's just fucking disgusting. Uh, and uh, all five of the officers who shot Woods uh, remain with the SFPD. And uh, Nancy Pill, uh, Mission District uh, Accountability Activist, repeated the often used chant, if there are no consequences, there's no confidence. If you can execute a person with eight different officers surrounding him, and get away with it, then I have no confidence, she said. Without serious consequences for these officers, she added, the SFPD is a beast with no reins. So that's uh, the beginning and the end of this article here from Mission Local. Again, you can check it out. Written by Julian Mark, September 10th, 2020. Oh, fuck. That's some good uh, ACAB music, I feel, right now. Especially after those. Oh, here's a playlist I have found on uh, Spotify. ACAB, Fuck Ice, Eat the Rich, etc. Agree with all of those things. So let's. <sighs> see if we can find one. Right now, again, taking a moment of silence for all the victims of state violence. There's too many. One is too many. And there's one we don't even know about.
Material objects, thousands up in the closets. Could have been invested in the future for my comrades. Battle contact, primitive weapons out in combat. Many never come back. Pretty niggas be running with gas. Rather get shot in they back than fire back. We tired of that. Corporations hiring blacks, denying the facts, exploiting us all over the map. That's why I write the shit I write in my rap. It's documented, I meant it. Every day of the week, I live in it, breathing it. It's more than just fucking believing it. I'm holding in ones, rolling up my sleeves and shit. It's C-Lo for push-ups now, many headed for one conclusion. Niggas ain't ready for revolution. The average black male, live a third of his life in a jail cell. Cause the world is controlled by the white male. And the people don't never get justice. And the women don't never get respected. And the problems don't never get solved. And the jobs don't never pay enough. So the rent always be late. Can you relate? We living in a police state.
bounce like a cow. Big three bucks and I came with two blockies. Slide up on high speed and stick to like hockey. Something's on deck, boy, that's a big 30. She saw me up and some pussy like Bernie. Boom, top of me, I'm jacked like Terry. Oh, walk in this bitch, match up, bring me stereo. Fuck that with Trump on this guy, cool at it. Fuck that his wife and I took it. Run up on ice, hell yeah. Talking my shit, hell yeah. Y'all could get clapped, hell yeah. Just like some hands, hell yeah. Fuck on that bitch.
Welcome back to the Mookie Review. That was Jacqueline McKenna with Wrist Bombs. Before that, we heard Manny Sanchez with Fuck Ice. And before that, Dead Prez with Police State. Got a few more news articles for you. <sighs> That's me just... Ugh. First up, I wanted to announce uh, an upcoming event folks can partake in. This is by the Autonomous Tenants Union Network. Folks can learn more. If you you can follow them on Twitter at A-T-U-N underscore R-S-I-A. LLC, Landlordism and the Eviction Machine. On September 19th, we're hosting a presentation by Joel Montano, who has researched who researched one mega landlord's 20-year investment strategy in LA. We'll learn more about how landlords use LLCs and mass evictions so we can better organize to fight back. And there's a Google Doc. You can also join their mailing list. And this is happening, let's see, 10 a.m. Pacific time. I'm trying to see. Oh, yeah, September 19th. Hello, they said already the date. So September 19th at 10 a.m. Pacific time, 1 p.m. Eastern time. You can also get on the mailing list by going to bit.ly forward slash A-T-U-N intake. And also a reminder to check your spam folder. And they also have a Google Doc where you can find more information as well. They also have it in, in Espanol to fill out all your info. And it's just a way for tenants to all come together and to learn more and to support one another and fight back against evil fucking landlords. So again, Autonomous Tenants Union Network. Follow them and follow, find this post on Twitter at A-T-U-N underscore rsia i've also shared it on twitter uh, you can follow me at r-o-m-a-n-r-i-m-e-r okay um next up i'm gonna share this interview from democracy now and this is uh barbara smith you can find this interview um on democracynow.org barbara smith the U.S. functions with white supremacy at, as its engine. Here's how we dismantle it. 
This is Democracy Now!, The Quarantine Report. I'm Amy Goodman. As we turn now from the cost of the so-called war on terror abroad to look at how the U.S. government is targeting Black Lives Matter protesters while downplaying the threat of white supremacist violence at home. Since the police killing of George Floyd in May sparked a nationwide uprising against police brutality, armed white supremacists have taken to the streets of U.S. cities in response to Black Lives Matter protests. After the police shooting of unarmed black father Jake Blake in Kenosha, Wisconsin, 17-year-old white Trump-supporting vigilante gunman Kyle Rittenhouse shot and killed two anti-racist protesters in Kenosha last month. But President Trump has refused to criticize Rittenhouse. Just this week, Donald Trump Jr. said of the self-proclaimed vigilante, quote, we all do stupid things at 17. On Wednesday, a Department of Homeland Security whistleblower accused the agency's leadership of instructing analysts to downplay the violent threat posed by white supremacists. Brian Murphy, the former head of the Homeland Security Department's intelligence branch, says he'd been ordered to alter the text of assessments to make the threat of white supremacy, quote, appear less severe. Earlier this year, DHS drafted a document stating, quote, white supremacist extremists will remain the most persistent and lethal threat in the homeland through 2021. That's not a Black Lives Matter manual. Again, that is DHS's own words. But in newer versions of the document, the reference to white supremacists was removed. Murphy also claims leaders at DHS pressured analysts to change assessments to match up to comments made by President Trump attacking anti-fascist groups. This comes as The Intercept reports, in many states, protesters who took part in the massive Black Lives Matter demonstrations are being charged with felonies and even terrorism. Well, for more, we're joined by a guest who's proposing a Marshall Plan to eradicate white supremacy in the United States. She calls it the Hamer-Baker Plan for Fannie Lou Hamer and Ella Baker. Barbara Smith joins us now from Albany, New York, an author, activist, independent scholar, founder of the Combahee River Collective and of Kitchen Table, Women of Color Press. Her latest book, Ain't Gonna Let Nobody Turn Me Around, 40 Years of Movement Building with Barbara Smith. Her recent piece for The Nation headlined How to Dismantle White supremacy. Barbara Smith, welcome back to Democracy Now! As we talk about terrorism, talk about what we see in the United States. Well, thank you so much. It's great to be with you again, Amy. I actually was talking about something a bit different from what you just so uh, very uh, clearly framed in your introduction. I'm not just talking about white supremacist groups are organized white supremacy. What I'm talking about is a system that actually dictates and shapes every aspect of life in the United States, from where your kids go to school and what kind of education they're able to get, what kind of housing you have, what your health care looks like, how often or much more often you die from COVID-19. I'm talking about the entire system. And I think that, of course, if we eradicate white supremacy and make that our priority and our goal, of course, we're going to get rid of the most extreme manifestations of white supremacy, which is organized white supremacist groups, violent terrorist groups. But I'm talking about uh, something even, I think, larger. So talk about that larger picture and talk about uh, the plan that you see uh, needs to be put in place in this country. Well, I started writing about white supremacy earlier this summer 
after George Floyd was lynched. I was so full of rage and pain because I've been dealing with this ever since Emmett Till was lynched in 1955. I was eight years old when that happened. So of course, I could not fully understand what had actually transpired. I just knew that the people in my family who were all from the Deep South, I grew up in Cleveland, Ohio, because they were part of the Great Migration. I just knew they were very, very upset about someone named Emmett Till, and that this person was also a child like my twin sister, Beverly, and me. So as I said, I've been dealing with this for quite a long time, 1955 until the spring of 2020 and beyond. So I just thought, I've got to write. I'm a writer. I just thought, I've got to write about this. What motivated me was the fact that when people were talking about these issues, either in print or in uh, media, uh, visual you know, media, et cetera, that they never really talked about white supremacy. They would talk about race relations. They would talk about implicit bias. They would talk about uh, needing to reform uh, and change the culture of policing, all well and good, but they never talked about where all this mess comes from. And that's what I wanted to write about. Uh, in that first article, which appeared in the Boston Globe, it was an op-ed in the Boston Globe, I proposed what would it be like if we had a Marshall Plan, or a plan on the scale of the space race to eradicate white supremacy. And when I was in contact then with um, my editor at The Nation, they suggested, why don't you spin that out? And that's where the second article uh, evolved from. And talk about Fannie Lou Hamer and Ella Baker, why you've named this plan uh, after them. Well, it's as I say when people ask me, it's because I idolize them. <laughs> and uh, they are supreme examples of what being freedom fighters, principled, fearless, or at least courageous. There's a difference between being fearless and being courageous. Courageous is actually better because everyone should have some fear about what might actually harm them. And of course, uh, Fannie Lou Hamer paid a huge price for wanting to do something as seemingly ordinary as vote. But in the Jim Crow South of that era, black people Virtually none of them were allowed to vote. She paid a permanent price because of the beating that she uh, received. And I just found out yesterday, if you can believe it, after all these years, that she actually was blinded in one eye. She is known for uh, having worked with SNCC, doing voter organizing and other kinds of you know, anti-racist organizing during that Jim Crow era. And then, of course, speaking out so powerfully at the 1964 Democratic Convention. Uh, about what went on in Mississippi and asking the very, very, very relevant question, is this America? And then Ella Baker, of course, she was a person, among so many other things, she worked for all of the major civil rights organizations uh, at some time. So she had experience across organizations. She also was doing that grassroots, very, very dangerous organizing in the Jim Crow South and little towns and rural areas, but she is probably best known for the person who inspired and made possible the founding of the Student Nonviolent Coordinating Committee, which is SNCC. I actually had the great, great pleasure and honor of meeting, meeting Fannie Lou Hamer 
when I was a teenager in Cleveland in 1965 and was very involved in the civil rights movement uh, as a young person. Barbara Smith, can you talk about um, why you feel racial capitalism and what you think that term means should be at the center of this plan? Well, as you know, Amy, you can't talk about race in the United States without talking about class, and you can't talk about class without talking about race. Racism, white supremacy, capitalism are absolutely intertwined. You know, it's like a vine that has wrapped itself around a tree or another plant. What can you do to separate them? Very, very, very uh, difficult uh, to do. Uh, we have and live under a system of racialized capitalism where the worst consequences of capitalism fall upon those who have the least amount of white skin privilege, in other words, people of color. And that's why we see such disproportionate economic uh, results and consequences of that system. The fact that black uh, families have about 10% of the wealth, the median uh, wealth of white families just says it all. I want to go back to 1968, to the Kerner Commission, which offered a moment that could have launched the U.S. into a massive program to end white supremacy, but didn't. Why do you think that didn't happen during the civil rights movement? And what do you think is necessary to make this sort of national shift now? Again, getting into the wayback machine of my uh, memory and of my life, I remember when the Kerner Commission uh, report came out, I remember it remember buying my paperback copy it was a best-selling book and that's when people had you know like red paperbacks uh you didn't have the internet or you know all these other means of communication so this the pocketbook as they called them the paperback book that was the format and this is a big thick but small you know size uh report done by a government uh, bipartisan commission to explain to investigate, explain, analyze uh, why there had been so many urban insurrections, rebellions. I never called them riots. The other people can call them riots. But why there had been so many urban insurrections during that period of the late 1960s. And they came up with the incredibly insightful uh, conclusion that it was white racism. And I would say that the reason that uh, it was not addressed at that time is because, and this may sound, you know, like pessimistic, but it's not. It's just something for us to think about. Uh, this country functions with white supremacy as its engine, an engine that runs so many aspects, banking, healthcare, <laughs> education, all these disparities that we see. Uh, it would take quite a bit to say, I think, you know, we need to get rid of that. And that's where we are now. Do we have the political will to actually eradicate white supremacy, or do we just want to kind of nip around the edges of it and do cosmetic things, you know? Taking down the Confederate statues, very, very important, very glad that's happening. But it doesn't necessarily get to the material conditions of people who live under this uh, system, nor does it address the incredible violent racism that results in people like uh, Jacob Blake being shot seven times in front of his tiny children at point-blank range.
And as you speak, Barbara, it just so happens that in these seconds, people hear it at different times. But at this time, 8.46, the first plane hit the first tower of the World Trade Center 19 years ago. Um, I wanted to ask you about intersectionality, about taking on terrorism, taking on white supremacy. Um, you say it can't be divorced from misogyny and heteropatriarchy. Right. Um, well, that's, you know, certainly from my long years of commitment to fighting for women's rights and women's freedom, and also being an out lesbian since the 1970s. You know, like how on businesses they say things like serving you since 1942 or whatever. Well. Uh, if there was a little sign, you know, uh, to explain that aspect of my life, it would be, it would be out lesbian since 1975. So uh, that's a long time, and that was not very long after Stonewall. So I've been involved in uh, thinking about, organizing around, writing about issues of sexuality and gender and sexuality and gender oppression for decades, long before it was popular, long before it was considered to be cute. And I just approach everything that um, I work on and think about in that way. And when you think about uh, the issues of the issue of white supremacy, it's absolutely entwined. Again, much like racial capitalism, it's entwined with patriarchy and with uh, homophobia and transphobia. So you can't really address one without the other. I mean, just like for a thought experiment, what would our country be like if we decided, uh, miraculously decided as a, a nation to get rid of white supremacy in every possible way that we could and left violence against women, rape, uh, transphobia, homophobia, discrimination against people based upon gender and sexuality, if we left that intact? What would we have accomplished if we did not look at all those vectors of oppression, all those uh, roadblocks uh, to freedom? And there are many other things, you know, that we can talk about too. We have to look at our international uh, situation. We have to look at our relationship to the rest of the world. We export white supremacy. Uh, your previous guest was talking about the uh, incredible uh, repercussions of the United States ongoing so-called foreign policy, which is really war policy, and that I think he said there were only 11 years in the entire history of the country when we weren't involved in warfare. What does that say about what kind of nation we are? And so much of that has been racialized. And particularly, you know, I would say since World War II, the, uh, the uh, skirmishes and not, I mean, they're bigger than skirmishes, the military adventures that this nation engages in just always seems to be against populations of people of color. Uh, we could talk about um, Barbara, disability. Barbara, before we go, since we yes. just have 30 seconds, I want to ask yes, if I'm you sorry. see echoes of uh, the Hamer-Baker plan in the Democratic Party platform or what's being put forth and the role you see activists should play in the November election. I haven't read the platform, but from what I gather, um, it's coming from a different place because, as I talked about nipping around the edges of the problem, 
I think that even if they're bold initiatives, you have to have the consciousness. You have to acknowledge and admit that white supremacy exists in order to fight it. And see, that's the difference. There may very well be things in that platform that will help with our racial, our situation of vast racial inequality. But is the purpose of those initiatives to address that bedrock system of white supremacy. That's the difference, and that's why I propose the Hamer-Baker plan. Well, we're going to link to that plan at democracynow.org. Barbara Smith, author, activist, and independent scholar, her piece in The Nation, How to Dismantle White Supremacy. When we come back, as global deaths from COVID-19 start to near one million, we look at the race to develop a vaccine and the issue of transparency. Back in 30 seconds. All right. So that was an interview with Barbara Smith on democracynow.org. You can find that uh, if you go to democracynow.org. And if you look—they have the transcript there, as well as the piece that Barbara Smith wrote for The Nation. How to Dismantle White Supremacy. So, we play some music. I'm back with another um, video clip in a little bit. Please do stay tuned.
revolution they must speak about a change because we are human beings and we got to be treated like human beings we are men we are not beasts and we do not intend to be beaten or driven as such if you put people under these kind of conditions they're going to rebel you know and that's what attica teaches you what has happened here is but the sound before the fury of those who are oppressed 
called upon all the conscientious citizens of America to assist us in putting an end to this situation that threatens the lives of not only us, but of each and every one of you. We have set forth demands that will bring us closer to the reality of the demise of these prison institutions that serve no useful purpose to the people of America, but to those who would enslave and exploit the people of America. One of the large army helicopters has taken off. It is known that uh, the army helicopters are loaded with, uh, with what is called riot gas, though we're not quite sure what kind of gas it is. Anyway, here, uh, here come the helicopters, and they, uh, they are now heading for the prison. One of the large army helicopters now going overhead and over the wall into the prison. helicopter came and dropped the CS gas and at the exact moment that that gas was dropped they started to shoot exactly at that moment and they cleared the catwalks they just murdered everybody on the catwalk it was a slaughter like man it was, uh, people were, were defenseless all right they they had sticks and uh, homemade weapons to defend themselves but this doesn't compare man with with magnums and carbines well, this is ridiculous you know the next thing I know is this big helicopter flying over us and uh, tear gas is coming from everywhere. It's a whole lot of shooting carrying on. So naturally everyone is running for cover, you know. So I'm next to the wall and I know around me that everyone is hiding their face and dying, spitting in rags and putting it to their nose. But what I know was troopers start coming from everywhere. Then I start seeing people, different people fall, you know. They were, they were shot. Uh, guys was losing their hand, shot in the head and the neck. The mass murder that took place, cold-blooded, premeditated murder, I am telling you what I seen with my own eyes. I speak of my dead brother, L.D. Barkley. I know for a fact that he was premeditatedly murdered. I know this. We are men. We are not beasts and we do not intend to be beaten or driven as such. I was taken out of the yard and I was put on a table, nude. My body at present have cigar burns, cigarette burns all over it. My testicles at times bother me now from cigarette butts, sticks, rifles, laying on the table with my head looking up at the catwalk being spit on, hot shells thrown on my body. I tried to cover up with my pillow. Can you imagine 250 pounds getting under a pillow? State troopers and police came by and said, nigga, get out from under that pillow. If we wanted you to have a cover, we would give you one. You're gonna die in the morning, nigga, so it don't make no difference. Nowhere, whether you freeze or we kill you. Nigga, black power, huh? Black power, huh? That's all was said to me while I was in that room. Trying to make me be the animal that he is to reverse the victim to the criminal, the criminal to the victim. As long as you take a man, a person, 
a woman and treat them as a beast, you're going to always have a problem in these concentration camps. Because what is happening in these institutions is the most cruel and unhuman punishment and treatment that any person can be exposed to. We are men. We are not beasts and we do not intend to be beaten or driven as such. People must know that we are dying. We are being murdered every day. That is what's happening in here, in all the Atticus over the world. The powers that be knew exactly what they were doing. They knew what weapons they were using. They knew what police force were they doing. They wanted that scorching. They could have taken over that yard without a shot, but they didn't want that. They wanted all that carnage, so everybody will see what happens when you rebel. to go through a few more headlines before we wrap up the show. Uh, one is from mic.com, mic.com. It came out yesterday, September 10th, 2020, by Vanessa Taylor. How tear gas may be wreaking havoc on protesters' reproductive health. Oof. So a lot of information there. Again, you can find it at mic.com. Fast Company and Historic First Portland bans corporations from using facial recognition tech on the public. September 10th, written by Michael Grothaus, or Grothaus, 
uh, what I was mentioning earlier, uh, $492 million in Prop C money unlocked for San Francisco's homeless. That's in Mission Local. It came out September 9th, 2020, written by Annika Horn. Excuse me, Annika Hom, H-O-M. Looking up the purple air right now, and yikes, not looking good. So I think that's most of the, I know there's a lot out there. Actually, I'm going to pull up one more email here. This is uh, the Center for Political Education wrap-up for this week. And I'm just going to share a few more headlines so folks can, if you want to research more information. Uh, updates sent home to die by Annie Waldman and Joshua Kaplan for ProPublica. This is what hurricane response looks like during a pandemic by Kelly Berlin for Southerly. Calls to end Gaza siege grow alongside new COVID cases by Maureen Claire Murphy for the electronic intifada. NYC cut 40,000 youth jobs when they were needed most by Greta Gonzalez for New York Times. Judge bans Detroit police from using batons, gas, chokeholds on protesters, for now, by M.L. Elric for Detroit Free Press. Trump orders crackdown on federal anti-racism training, calling it anti-American, from the Associated Press. Acting DHS chief says feds are working on arresting VML le leaders by Christina Cabrera for Talking Points Memo. Abolitionist strike at University of Michigan from Black Inc. And in the analysis section, we will come out of it a stronger union. Interview by Anand Singh by David Bacon for New Labor Forum. Puerto Rico and the Perpetual State of Emergency by Jose Atilas, Atilas for NACLA. How to Dismantle White Supremacy by Barbara Smith for The Nation, which is uh, mentioned in the interview that we played earlier from Democracy Now! Organizing Assets and Political Education Tools. Join the national effort to honor those lost to COVID-19 in the U.S. Naming the loss, they have a link. 40 Ways to Fight Fascists by Spencer Sunshine in collaboration with Pop Mob, and who read that a little bit of that on last week's episode. You can find it if you go to weeklyrev.wordpress.com. We have a link to last week's and September 4th's web uh, show. The Color of Coronavirus, COVID-19 Deaths by Race and Ethnicity in the U.S. by from APM Research Lab. And CDC Eviction Moratorium Fact Sheet from Alliance for Housing Justice. So big thanks to the Center for Pol Political Education. You can donate to them. They're based here in San Francisco. And let's see, if you'd like to be on their mailing list, uh, they send this out every week. So there's a lot of really good information here, and I've learned so much from them. The website you can go to to find more information is politicaleducation.org. Again, politicaleducation.org. And they also have an upcoming event, Marxism 101, September 12th, 2020, at 10 a.m. Pacific time. And those applications are due on September 9th, but it might still be available. And just lots more information there. So again, politicaleducation.org. Thanks so much for tuning in. Going to play a song, and then we'll be out. Um, again, please check out our webpage.
weeklyrev.wordpress.com. I'm going through the older episodes and providing some uh, information on guests as well as links that we mention on the show. Got a lot to do. There's also the archive at mutinyradio.fm. We've got lots of shows here every day of the week. If you're interested in doing a show here of your own, please contact Pam, who's the station manager. Again, at mutinyradio.fm. We also have a Patreon set up for this show, patreon.com forward slash weeklyrev. You can also find that on our WordPress site. Uh, anywhere from a dollar a month helps go, excuse me, towards uh, paying the dues to rent the space here and the equipment. And thanks again for tuning in. And please support independent media. Support Mutiny Radio with more information at mutinyradio.fm. Thanks so much for tuning in, and we'll be back next week with more info for you. I hope everyone has a, a peaceful week, and let's all work for an equitable
hey, take a break from the social isolation and come out to All Jokes, the daytime outdoor comedy show at All Good Pizza in Bayview on Saturday, August 22nd at 3 p.m where Drea Myers hosts a super funny lineup of comedians. Grab some brick oven pizza and enjoy the show in an outdoor courtyard with plenty of room to be physically distanced. See you soon at All Good Pizza for this tremendous outdoor comedy show at 1605 Gerald Avenue in the Bayview. That's all jokes at Good Pizza with Drea Myers, Saturday, August 22nd at 3 p.m. Are you tired of swimming through a sea of podcasts? Are ye on a raft without a paddle? Well, gather around me, sea dog, and get aboard me pirate ship as we set sail for the seas of mutinyradio.fm. From there, you can captain your own pirate ship as you sail through over 44 different shows for all of your listening pleasures. They've got live comedy to small business advice, LGBTQ-friendly to sports, vinyl to gutter punk. MutinyRadio.fm has the best programming the Internet Ocean has to offer you. I bet my peg leg on it, or I ain't scurvy shit-faced McRat. <laughs> My name is Breakfast, and I'm running for Chancellor of the United States of America. For too long, we have gone without a Chancellor who is willing to take bold leaps of faith and logic to create new possibilities for our great, big, fat nation. As your Chancellor, I will balance the budget on the head of a pin, give entertaining speeches, have scandalous affairs, Write strongly worded letters to unpopular foreign leaders. Look good on camera. End all hunger, crime, abuse, war, disease, disasters, sadness, depression, oppression, repression, suppression, transgression, obsession, expression, impression, regression, and digression by signing pieces of paper that express my disapproval of such things. Invest in an American flag pin to be worn prominently on my stylish jackets. It's time to work together to take the country back from us and return it to ourselves. It's time to turn this country around and drive it into opposing traffic. It's time to take a chance on the Chancellor. Italian, and we brought you fascistness with Mussolini, and before that, the Romans. So if you think you live in a fascist country, well, you do. Antitrump.com is the antivirus to the Trump virus. It started in 2016 with two sketches and a dream for a better America. No one thought it would be this bad. He was a 70-year-old yammering nimrod. How bad could it possibly be? We are now in a global pandemic without 